United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Yesterday, we got word that Israel's government has collapsed again. They are going to have more elections. This is the fourth time in two years they will have elections. You thought we had problems. Let's get a better understanding of what's at work here. Lucy Kurtzer Ellenbogen is director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. She's tweeting, or the Twitter handle is at USIP. Lucy, welcome back. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me on, Tim. What is going on? <laughs> this, this, uh, they, they just, I mean, is this, I've known that Mr. Netanyahu and Benny Gantz have not been, uh, you know, they, they had some very uncomfortable agreements to do something. But why, in this particular case, has this once again unraveled? Uh, well, very good question. And as your um, comments suggest, that even in the uh, the dramatic context of tumultuous Israeli coalition politics, uh, four elections in two years is um, uh, is quite um, unprecedentedly dramatic. Uh, ostensibly, um, what is happening here is that the government failed to pass a budget, and that um, automatically triggered a law that meant that the Knesset had to dissolve and they had to go to new elections, uh, which, as you noted, are slated to happen um, in March. So that's the proximate cause. But there are, of course, a number of underlying dynamics. This coalition partnership of Benny Gantz, who uh, through three elections was Netanyahu's chief rival, has always been a, a partnership uh, of the unwilling. None of them could make the numbers work um, to have a coalition without the other in the previous few elections. And they entered um, a coalition that was, again, ostensibly an emergency government to deal with the COVID uh, crisis. And it was an agreement that relied on a rotation that would happen whereby in November 2021, Benny Gantz was to take over the prime ministership. Um, now, many had speculated in the beginning that Netanyahu would not want to see that happen and would prefer to go to early elections at uh, some point. He's facing legal challenges. He's in the middle of a trial. The evidentiary portion of that uh, is slated to begin in February. And uh, what many believe Netanyahu might be looking for and wants most is a coalition that will allow him um, uh, to postpone or, or put off the trial or at least grant him uh, immunity while he is serving in office. So again, all sorts of dynamics at play that have brought us here back to another election in just a few months. So basically, these two guys don't like each other, and the country is not sure if they trust Mr. Netanyahu because of some of the uh, accusations of corruption. And this coalition that has to be put together by either side does not sound like the most solid foundation for a government moving forward. It's going to be fractious regardless of who winds up on top of this, it seems like. That's absolutely correct. And in fact, what you've seen in the in the sort of jockeying and the, 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 the high drama of the last few days or even weeks is you've seen defections from the Likud party. You've seen yet another new political party form uh, by Gidon Saar, um, who was really uh, Netanyahu's chief contender for leadership within the Likud party many years. He's formed a new party. Again, if you look at the polling now, I mean, it's, it's so new, of course, following the um, announcement yesterday, they'll be going to elections. But uh, Likud is still polling high. Netanyahu still actually receives the highest confidence among the Israeli public as, as the most um, 
capable or qualified as you were to lead the country as prime minister, but there is um, a lot of concern and distrust for the reasons you note. And you are going to see, again, we should fasten our seatbelts for another um, tight horse race. And, and as everybody calculates the math of how different coalitions can be put together, he's now facing with this new party, um, serious contenders from his right um, um, at this point going into the elections in March. Lucy Kurtz, Ellen Bogan, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. I'm reminded, just as we saw in the United States, we've spent so much time surrounding Election Day. The world still spins on its axis and included in that, even in the Middle East, the world continues to spin. That we saw yesterday, uh, Jared Kushner, senior White House advisor, had led a delegation from Israel to Morocco to mark the first direct flight since the two countries had agreed to establish diplomatic ties. One wonders, number one, um, you know, that this is happening and how that might affect the elections. The other is, of course, whether or not the new administration in this country will have any kind of an influence on the results that we might see take place in Israel. Uh, yeah, as you see, so one of the interesting elements as we look at the seeming dysfunction of the Israeli domestic political scene that on the foreign policy front, uh, Israel, the Netanyahu government has been having quite the past uh, few months. Morocco, as you just note, um, just um, agreed to reestablish ties in their case with Israel. Um, and it becomes the fourth Arab League country since August um, to enter into these normalization um, uh, agreements with Israel. Um, so uh, definitely a big development. And what's most notable about these uh, these agreements, of course, is is what they signal about what a, a broken, longstanding paradigm um, since 2000. The the Arab Peace Initiative, a, a peace initiative put forward by the Saudis, the framework put forward by these. Um, Arab states was really, it was a signal that they wanted uh, to move towards warmed ties. Warmed ties, in fact, were in many ways um, under the surface, but that the price that Israel was going to need to pay, according to that uh, framework, was uh, coming to an agreement, um, a land for peace concession type agreement with the Palestinians. And what you've seen since August when the Emirates entered into that first recent deal um, is a throwing over of that old paradigm, um, a clinging still to the vision of wanting a two-state solution, a negotiated two-state solution at the end of the day between the Israelis and Palestinians, but saying they're willing to move on uh, without it. Um, and so the question that you raise is what we will see happen in the coming months. Are there more of these deals to come in the short time before President Trump leaves office and what President Biden might do in relation to um, uh, these regional developments. And also what Mr. Biden might do in terms of, for example, the additional settlements that Israel has put on Palestinian land, um, demolishing some of the villages there. President Trump had dispatched the uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to embrace these. And I don't gather that that's a part of the philosophy, if you will, of the incoming Biden administration. What what to do about this? Um, that's absolutely correct. What you have um, heard very clearly during the campaign and even subsequently from um, incoming President Biden, incoming Vice President Kamala Harris, and those who will be filling top cabinet positions is this is an administration, an incoming administration, that um, is very firm on its commitment to what, until the Trump administration, had been a long-standing commitment to the two-state 
um, solution. Um, and uh, the, um, President-elect Biden has also been uh, very clear that, um, that he opposes unilateral annexation measure, measures um, by Israel, such as the annexation that, was, that, that Netanyahu um, uh, threatened or pledged, depending on, uh, on your perspective, to put into play in July that was essentially stopped, um, um, partly because of the uh, deal uh, with the Emirates. But I think what all eyes will be looking at what the administration does on this in terms of nobody, I think, is expecting that, uh, unlike the Obama administration, the Biden administration is going to come in day one, appoint an envoy and rush towards final status negotiations. Um, but um, how this administration will try to hold the line against um, that stated goal or towards that stated goal of a two-state solution um, uh, is what is going to be interesting. As you noted, um, settlement expansion, settlement growth continues, even as annexation um, has been stopped. Um, and so um, it, what, what, uh, what the question is, uh, is, uh, is will the incoming administration try to um, push back heavily um, on that with the Netanyahu government coming in. You did see that again under an Obama administration and it did set off uh, years of tensions between those two leaders. Um, how Biden chooses to handle that when he has a slate of other domestic and foreign policy priorities coming in um, is something to look for. And, and I want to just get drilled down on, on Iran because President Trump withdrew the U.S. from the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Uh, President Elect Biden has expressed an interest in trying to revisit that. Obviously, Israel was very much in favor of President Trump withdrawing from that because they thought the JCPOA didn't do what needed to be done. Where where does the U.S. relationship with Iran go? Right. So, um, again, other things we know from what we've heard from the incoming Biden administration is there is a strong intention to try to get that deal back on uh, on track. Um, and this, again, this is uh, this is part of the history of where the relationship uh, soured fairly early on between the Obama administration, in which Biden served as vice president, um, and, uh, and Netanyahu. Um, I think when we talk about other priorities beyond the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, foreign policy priorities that the incoming Biden administration will have, Iran is probably going to be um, number one. And so I think the balancing act you are going to see uh, with both the Israeli leadership and the incoming Biden uh, administration um, is uh, how do those two react when they have, you know, Biden is going to be pushing to get back um, into Iran deal, perhaps um, with um, some some additional uh, safeguards or additional elements that weren't there uh, before. How do they navigate this situation um, and not start off with a rocky, tempestuous uh, relationship. We have to remember there's a long-standing uh, uh, relationship, uh, personal relationship, professional relationship that goes back decades between Biden and Netanyahu. So they are arguably starting off on a better footing than was the case um, in the Obama administration. Um, but this is certainly going to be um, a point of contention, um, differing goals. And of course, that's the context in which you've seen this growth of of, of certainly Gulf Israeli normalization deals happening, um, that the incoming Biden administration is coming into a situation where Israel and many of our Arab allies see eye to eye on the uh, threat of Iran and differently uh, from the U.S. on how you address that threat. Well, I guess we'll have to check the uh, whiteboard and the countdown to the election again once they decide to do that in Israel. One of the things that we get to watch, I guess, repeatedly and often, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Lucy Kertzen, Ellen Bogan, thank you for joining us on POTUS today. 
thank you so much and best of luck some of your retirement. Thank you, Lucy. I appreciate that. Lucy Kurtzer Ellenbogen is director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the U.S. Institute of Peace, the United States Institute of Peace. The Twitter handle is at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.